Well, we conclude the practical portion of our text today in Romans. As I've told you many times over, the first 11 chapters of Romans are highly theological. The content there is very much about God, who He is, um, who we are outside of Christ, and how we have offended a holy God and we stand guilty before Him. He goes on to talk in great lengths about our gracious Savior, Jesus Christ, and what He has accomplished for us and the peace that we now have with God and Him. We talk about the, the journey of, of the Christian faith, how we are growing in godliness and growing in our relationship with God. And as we get into chapter 12, we turn to the more practical portion of the book, and he gives us uh, a lot of detail about what it means to, to look like a Christian, to live like a Christian. In the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about um, the one another's of, of the Bible and how we're to support encourage one another, how we're not to stumble or offend one another, but we're to support and bear each other up. So that's where we've been for the last few weeks. And today we kind of close that portion of Romans. And after this, it's somewhat of a postscript, if you will. It's some concluding thoughts from Paul, kind of his plans, his journey plans and, and things of that sort. So today we conclude uh, really where we have been for the last several weeks. And it has a, a special emphasis on hope, on hope. You know, hope is a major topic throughout the Bible, and it is mentioned several times throughout Romans, many times. From chapter 4 on to the end of the book, Paul regularly brings up the issue of hope. Everybody needs hope. Can I get an amen? amen. We all need hope in this life. When people have no hope, when people lose hope, terrible things can happen. You know, people sometimes end their lives, marriages fail, and on and on these kinds of things go because hope is gone, and they have no reason to keep going. And I think everybody has had the feeling that all hope is lost. I think that's something that we can all relate with in this room on some level. You have had that feeling in your life where you thought there is no hope in this situation. I have no hope. I don't feel like I can go on. I don't see how this could possibly go on. And Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hopelessness, it's a sick feeling, is it not? And when that hope is delayed or lost, it makes the heart sick. Conversely, when there is hope, when that desire has, has arrived or, or has been achieved, it is like life giving. And so we all need hope. And the reality is, is I think that we look for hope in all the wrong places. Remember that old country song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? I'm surprised y'all know that. Good for you. All right. So anyways, sometimes I think we look for hope in all the wrong places. I think uh, some people look to uh, humanity, hope in humanity. I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have very little hope in humanity after this, this year, you know. Things are pretty depressing out there. Sometimes we look for hope in a person. We look for somebody else, somebody else to give us hope. Sometimes we, we hope in ourselves, and I, I would say that too is probably, maybe the younger you are, you might have that, that tendency, but I think the older we get, the more we lose hope in ourselves because we know that we are prone to fall, prone to fail. We look for hope in relationships. We're looking to maybe uh, a spouse or somebody else for hope. We look for hope in things like bigger houses, hope in a career, 
hope in a, in a, in a raise or a promotion, looking for hope in, a, in some sort of a movement or a political party. There's a lot of that going on right now. People really have their hope in presidential candidates and political movements galore. Hope and money. And sometimes people just have hope and hope. Hope and hope. And you know, it is, it's what your hope is in that really matters because it's the object of the hope. Hope and hope doesn't get it. You know, I remember one of the lowest times of my life. It wasn't the lowest. I, ha- I still had some, some ways down to go. But uh, I was in this place. I remember I just roll out of the bed in the morning late for work and get a cup of coffee and get in my car and light a cigarette and think to myself, well, hopefully tomorrow will be a better day. You know, my day just started and already I'm, I'm giving up on the day and thinking, well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe there's hope for tomorrow. And, and on and on that cycle went. You know, sometimes I think that we misunderstand what hope is. We misunderstand altogether what hope is. I think most people understand hope to be something like wishful thinking. I hope I get that raise. I hope I don't get sick. That is hope outside of Christ. But biblical hope is confidence. It's trust in that which is certain. It's certainly not wishful thinking. R.C. Sproul says this. He says, hope is not taking a deep breath and hoping things are going to turn out all right. It is assurance that God is going to do what He says He will do. It is assurance. It is certainty. It is trust. It is confidence. It is a hope that is founded and grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is where our hope truly lies. He is an anchor to our souls. We can trust in Him and we will never be put to shame. The Bible says that in Christ we have a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And this would have, this would have been um, very profound to the hearers because their hope so often were in false gods, idols, little carved images, things of that sort. That was not a living hope. But we serve a living Lord, a living God who is alive forevermore. And so we truly have hope in Christ. And in Christ, the hope of the believer abounds. We have hope for the next life. And that is the most important thing. We know that we know that we are right with God and that we have life forevermore. And there are many people around the world, that's the hope they need more than anything. There are some places in this world where life is so bad, that is the hope, that is the only hope that they have because they know in this life things are never going to be good, never going to be okay. But they know that this is a vapor and that when this life has passed us by, they will have true life in Christ forevermore. And that is the most important, that is the sweetest hope that anyone could have. But you know, we do have hope in this life in Christ. We have peace We have the peace of God, peace with God. We can have contentment in this life. That is something that is supernatural, I have to tell you, because that is something that we all struggle with, contentment. Uh, There was a a very wealthy guy. I don't want to, I think I remember who it was that was being quoted, but I don't want to get it wrong. But he was asked the question, how much more money do you need to make? And he said, one more dollar. One more dollar. And that's what it amounts to. But we can have contentment in this life We can have restoration in this life. We have a healer in Christ. 
We can have growth, personal growth in this life as the Lord is committed to changing us. We can have the provision that we need in this life for we have a shepherd who knows our needs and we shall not want. We can have protection in this life. We can have guidance in this life. We have a shepherd who leads us and cares for us. We can have preservation in this life. We have a shepherd who will keep us and see us to the very end. That is the hope that we have in Christ. We have hope for the salvation of other people and we seek to lead them to the source. We have hope that gives us freedom from fear, control, anxiety, and doubt. That is the opposite of hope. Trying to control the situation. Just paralyzing fear, crippling fear, doubt. The opposite of that is hope. We're set free from those things because of the hope that we have in Christ. Hope causes us to live pure lives in expectation for our Savior. 1 John, I believe, chapter 3 talks about that very thing. Hope helps us to persevere through suffering and hardship in, the, in this life, and there's no shortage of that, is there? Hope motivates us to labor for eternal things because we know that there is something beyond this life. We are hoping in another, in another kingdom, in another king, and so we labor in this life for him more than just that which is around us. And so that is biblical hope, and that is ours in Christ. And you know, there was a time when we didn't have this hope. The Bible says there was a time when we were very much outside. We were outsiders. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, that is non-Jews, God had His chosen people, His special people, the Jewish nation, and everybody else, that, those were the Gentiles. And so you were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by his, what is called the circumcision made by flesh, uh, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. We were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, having no hope without God in the world. That was us, folks. For some of us, that wasn't very long ago. I think for some of us, it was so long ago that we've forgotten from where we've been saved. We've forgotten that we were outside of God's blessing and God's kindness. But the reality is, praise God that now we do have hope. We have been found in Him, and hope does abound. We serve a God of hope that causes us to overflow with hope. And so I've titled this message in Romans 15, verses 8 through 13, The Gift of Hope from the God of Hope. Do me a favor. Why don't you stand up? We're going to read this text together. I'm going to pray one more time. You've been sitting for a while already, so stretch your legs a little bit. I'm going to read our text, and then we'll pray. Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with the people, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. 
And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the God of hope and that you will cause hope to abound in your people through faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we all need hope. We need to be encouraged. We need to be refreshed. For some in this room, they haven't even known this hope in the first place. God, they need you. They need to come to a saving knowledge of your son today so that they can have this hope. So Father, I pray that you would open your word to us and by your spirit you would speak to us and that you would receive glory and honor unto your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this leads us to point one. We have hope because God is faithful to his promises. For you note takers, we have hope because God is faithful to his promises. Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. So we're told here that Jesus Christ became a servant to the circumcision. Now what does that mean? Well, that's, that is a, a reference to the Jews, to the Jewish people. Jesus Christ became a servant to the Jews. Jesus was a Jewish man who was on a mission to reach the Jews. He was on a mission from God. Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, it says, But he answered Jesus and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus came to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when he sent his disciples out to preach, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so there was no mistaking it, no doubt about it, that that was primarily who Jesus came to minister to when he was here on the earth. Now, he certainly interacted with Samaritans and Gentiles, and he did do marvelous works uh, amongst them, but he primarily came to the Jews. Now, now why is that? Why was it that Jesus was a servant to the Jews? Well, Paul tells us that it's for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. So, to put it in another way, Jesus came as a servant to the Jews to maintain the veracity of God's Word. He came to uphold the faithfulness of God's Word. God made promises to the Jews, and God was going to make good on His promises through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to see to that. Jesus came to see to that. Or Paul also would say to fulfill God's promise to the fathers. To fulfill God's promise to the fathers. God made some amazing promises in the Old Testament. Maybe you've heard the name Abraham. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. This is kind of important to know. This is a theme that goes throughout the whole Bible well into the New Testament, and you should uh, be familiar with these things. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. God made some promises to Abraham, and he was going to be faithful to his promises. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, 
Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, Abram, who would later become Abraham, was an old man in the land of uh, Ur, and he was a pagan. He was not a God worshiper. He didn't know God. God revealed himself to this man and called him out and said, I want you to go to a place where I will show you. And this was the beginnings of the making of a man that we know to be the father of faith. Because God just said, hey, go. He didn't tell him where to go. He just said, go. And he did. He obeyed and he went out. There would be other tests of faith that would come where God would, would prove Abraham's faith. But this is where it all started. And he promised him that he was going to have a child in his old age and that his offspring was going to be innumerable. If you could count the, the, the sand on the, the seashore, or you could count the stars in the heavens, you'd be able to count Abram's descendants. And he changed his name later to Abraham, which means father of the nations. Abram meant exalted father, but God changed his name to Abraham. Well, Abram, Abraham did have this child of promise. His name is Isaac. And God reaffirmed the same promise to Isaac. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, this is speaking to Isaac, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Sound familiar? It's the very same promise that he gave to Abraham. He's now giving it to his son. Isaac, who indeed was the child of promise. We'll turn with me now to Genesis chapter 28. We all know the story. Isaac and Rachel had two sons. Anybody remember the names? Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was the one that God chose. Jacob was not the firstborn, but God preferred Jacob over Esau, and Jacob was to be the recipient of the promise. So in Genesis chapter 28, verse 13, Jacob was having a vision. We pick up in verse 13, and it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, what? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Sound familiar? It's the same exact promise that he made to Abraham and then to Isaac, and now it has been reaffirmed to Jacob. So this is the promise that was given to the fathers that Paul is referring to back in Romans chapter 15. Now you can turn back over to that, to Romans 15. That was the promise, and Jesus is the fulfillment of it. There was a lot that went into that promise, but Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment because one line in particular that stands out is that all the families, all the nations were going to be blessed, and that would be through the Christ who would bring salvation to the world. 
because originally God chose the Jews to be his special covenant people. They were the ones upon whom the blessings would go. But God intended on those blessings going out to the rest of the world, and that would come through the Christ who would come from Abraham, ultimately, through the seed of Abraham. So God indeed made some very real promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he made good on those promises in his son, Jesus Christ. God was faithful to his promises. And yet they rejected him. They rejected God. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. God made good on his promise. He sent his son Jesus to fulfill his covenant promises to his people, and they rejected the gift of God. They rejected God's son. They rejected God's faithfulness. You know, God made good on his promise even though he knew he would be rejected. Isn't that amazing? God knew this was going to happen. He made these promises, he fulfilled his promises, and they rejected him. You know why he made good on his promises? Because of his nature, because of his character, because of his own faithfulness. And that, my brothers and sisters, is unbreakable. And that is why we have hope in God, because of his faithfulness, because of his dependability, because he cannot lie, because he cannot fail. It's a really interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by any greater, he swore by himself saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Really fascinating verse. God swore by himself that he would bless Abraham. What, what does that mean? Well, you know, we swear by certain things, don't we? We'll swear on a variety of things. I don't want to say anything in particular, but, you know, we do that as a habit. We look to something outside of ourselves that is more authoritative of, or of more worth than our own word, and we swear on that that we will tell the truth. Well, who could God swear by that is greater than himself? Nobody. So he swore by his own name. He swore based according to his own nature and character that he was going to be true to his promise to Abraham. And that's what it boils down to. If there's one person in this world in whom we can truly hope and who will never fail us, who will never forsake us, who will never let us down, it is God. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He is who he is. He is a faithful God. Even in the face of our faithlessness, even when we fail, even when we fall short, and we expect when we fail that God would forsake us, do we not? Because isn't that how we are? But God's not that way. God doesn't do that. God remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. And he has promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. So this is such good news because the reality is we're no more faithful than Israel was. We are no more faithful than they. If my hope were built on my own faithfulness, trustworthiness, dependability, I would be in big trouble. And so would you. We all would. But our hope is built on Christ. Our hope is built on him and nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And for that reason, we can have confidence. 
We have confidence because God has a proven track record. We have confidence in this life. We have hope in this life. We have hope in Him because He's faithful to His promises. Amen? That was point one. All right, this brings us to point two. Point two, it's been God's intention to give us this hope all along. God has had a plan to include us all along. You know, oftentimes we talk about the exclusivity of Christ. You know, He's the only way. And we talk about that because Jesus Himself said it. So you can't really deny it. Jesus said that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus cried out to the Father in the garden the night before He was to be crucified and said, Father, if there's any other way, if this cup can pass from Me, please let it pass. But did it pass? He drank that cup. What was in that cup? It was the cup of God's wrath meant for the nations. Christ had to drink that cup because there was no other way. And so the exclusivity of Christ, it is a real thing. And it's a hard thing for people to, uh, to swallow, to be sure. But you know what? God is also very much an inclusive God. God has sought to include. He chose His special people, but He has chosen to include the world in His goodness and in His favor. And that's been His plan for all along. All along, it's been God's intention to give us this hope. So if you're building an outline here under point two, we have A, God had a plan to include the Gentiles that they would glorify Him. God had a special plan for His people, the Jews, but He also had a special plan for, his, for the Gentiles so that they too would be able to glorify Him. And we see this in verse 9a, verse 9a, the first part of verse 9 here. It says, "...and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy." So we know from the Old Testament that God had chosen the nation of Israel to be His own special people. They would be the recipients of His covenant love. Deuteronomy chapter 7, I love this verse. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people, for you were the least of all the peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers. There it is again. God's faithfulness. God's love. He said, I chose you. You were a special people unto Me, not because you were so great, not because you were greater and mightier than all the peoples. You were the least of all the peoples. But I chose you because I love you and because I made a promise to your father Abraham and he was going to make good on that promise. So we know this. That was God's intention for the Jews. But God also had a plan for the non-Jews. God also had an intention to show abundant mercy to those who were outside of the covenant. The New Testament, God, uh, in the New Testament, God has done the same thing for us, the Gentiles and Christ, that we would be uniquely qualified to praise God for His mercy. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So God, that was God's intention for us too, 
that we too would be his own special people, that we would be a chosen people, that we're qualified to praise him for his mercy. And that's exactly what we are, folks. We are uniquely qualified because we were highly trained and highly equipped sinners. Were we not? I mean, that, is, that was in our nature, and that was who we were outside of Christ. But God showed us mercy, and when God saved us in His Son, that made us highly trained and uniquely and highly qualified to be praised, those who would praise God. Amen? And that was God's intention. God intended that he would receive praise from his special people, the Jews, but God intended that he would receive praise from his special people, the Gentiles, the whole world. And this wasn't something that God just came up with yesterday. This is something that God had in his mind from eternity past. It's amazing. And that's what Paul is going to start showing us now as we move farther into our text here in Romans 15. So B, on your outline, if you're making one, Paul gives four Old Testament passages to demonstrate that this was God's plan all along. God had a plan to include us in, and this was His plan all along. And He gives us these four little passages here, these four little references from the Old Testament to make His case. So he says in the latter part of verse 9 there, 9b, As it is written, For this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So notice he says, as it is written. So Paul's going to go to the Scriptures to make his argument. And he's going to quote from, this is significant, from the Law, the Psalms, and the Prophets. He's going to quote from Deuteronomy, the Psalms, and Isaiah. And as the Jews saw it, those were the three main categories of their scriptures. And so he's making an ironclad case from their scriptures that this was God's intention all along. And so he quotes first from 2 Samuel chapter 22:50. This is a song of David. But you may not know this, that same exact song there in uh, 2 Samuel is also found in Psalm 18, verse 49. And he says, I will confess to you and that is also rendered, I will thank you, or I will sing to you, he says, among the Gentiles. So in the presence of. So David had this, this praise before God, and he says, I'm going to do it in the midst of the Gentiles, the people who are not God's covenant people, those who are on the outside. David said, I'm going to praise you in their midst. And I want you to notice that there's a progression that happens here. So God will be glorified for His deliverance in the presence of the nations. That's what's happening there. Well, now Paul's going to go on and he's going to quote Moses. Moses had a song that he wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse, uh, verse 43. So in verse 10, it says, And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. So Moses is singing for God's victory and vindication over his enemies. And notice that Moses calls upon the Gentiles to join in on the praise. So David said, I'm going to praise you, God, in the midst of the Gentiles. And now Moses, as he is praising God, he calls on the Gentiles to join in. Well, in the next verse, we have Psalm 117.1. It's the shortest psalm in the Bible. And that is what Paul quotes here in verse 11. He says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. 
So this to laud, it's not a word that we often use, but it's probably we never use it, but it's to praise God and it's a very exuberant, outward, physical expression. And so that is what the psalmist is calling for the Gentiles to do. Now the Gentiles are being told directly, worship him. So the Gentiles were in the midst of worship. They've been invited into worship. Now they're being told directly to worship. And that brings us to verse 12. And this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. And him the Gentiles shall hope. So this was a messianic prophecy in Isaiah. If you, you may know that text, it's a very special one, and it's talking about the millennial reign of Christ. And at that time, Christ, His rulership is going to be set up on the earth, and He's going to reign over the world. And the Jews and the Gentiles alike will be under His kingship, and the Gentiles will delight to have it so. That's what's being said there in Isaiah 11. So notice the progression. They go from strangers who are on the outside who see the worship of God happening. They're present. But then next we see that praise is happening and they're being invited into it. And then next we see that they're being directly admonished, exhorted, praise God. And that it ends with them coming underneath the lordship of Christ and delighting in it. They are gladly submitting themselves to the kingship of Jesus. And so we see this progression that is happening here in Paul's argument, and he's making the point that, that God had planned to include them all along. God had had mercy on the Jews, and God was going to have mercy on the Gentiles. There was a history of hope there for his people. There was hope in the fact that this had been God's plan all along. It's been God's intention for a lot longer than we realize. It's been God's intention for a lot longer than we realize. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. We've been predestined unto this. Before the foundation of the world, God had determined, He had purposed that He was going to have a church. He was going to have a people that were going to worship Him, be uniquely qualified to love Him and to serve Him. And His love and His blessing was going to be poured out on them. And so the point I'm simply trying to make is this isn't some backup plan that God came up with a few days ago, a couple years ago, a couple generations ago. From eternity past, in God's mind and heart, He had purposed to have a people upon whom He would pour His love and upon, uh, by whom He would be praised. And so, again, this just all goes back to our hope in God. What is it built on? What is it founded on? Is it founded on something that is unshakable, something that is solid, something that is trustworthy? It's founded on the fact that God is absolutely faithful to his promises and to his word and to himself. And it's founded on the fact that this isn't something that some backup plan that God just came up with yesterday. This was God's plan all along. Amen? Amen. That is where our hope lies. That is where our hope is built, brothers and sisters. That's where it has to be. And this brings us to our third and final point. God is the source and through him we can overflow with hope. 
God is the source of hope. He is the God of hope. And through Him, we can overflow with hope. Verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a, a closing prayer. This is a benedictory prayer. This phrase, now may thee. He's, he's transitioning here and now he's directly praying and calling upon the name of the Lord. And how does he refer to God in his prayer? He refers to him as the God of hope. And that is so significant. You know, God is called the God of peace. God is called the God of comfort. And he's also called the God of hope. You know, God is the author of hope for the helpless and the hopeless. Our God is a God who made a way when there wasn't a way. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a place where there was no way, there was no hope, there was no help? The Bible says that God makes streams in the desert. I love that. When there doesn't appear to be a way, God makes a way because He is the God of hope. And God has made the greatest way for us to have hope through His Son, Jesus Christ. God included us. God brought us in. God gave us hope when there was no hope. Romans chapters 1 through 3 go to great lengths to describe that condition that we were in. That was a hopeless and helpless state. We were outside of God's blessing, God's favor. We were underneath the righteous wrath of God as those who suppressed the truth of righteousness, of the truth of God and unrighteousness, excuse me. And so that's who we were. That's where we were. But God, the God of hope, made a way to lift us up out of that pit. He pulled us up out of the pit and set our feet on a rock. Praise the Lord, the rock, Lord Jesus, our Savior and our King. There is no hope in any other. You know, that's, that's what we have to know. You have to know that. There is no hope in any other. People look to all kinds of things for hope in this life, for help in this life to be sustained in this life. But there's only one hope, the God of hope. People look to all kinds of systems in this life. People look to other religions in this life. You know, the thing about the other religions is it's all, it's all systems of works. You have to attain to God. You have to, you have to ascend to the heavenlies through your own good deeds, your own works, your own appeasement of, of that God. And that is a hopeless place to be it doesn't work you know our works don't work it's just as simple as that there is no hope in and of ourselves trying to attain to a greater and higher place try as we may but God is the God of hope and in him we are satisfied in him we have assurance in him we have stability in him we have all that we need for life and godliness for he is the God of hope and we're told that in believing, that through faith in Christ, we will be filled with joy and peace. So there's the key. You have to believe. Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Have you believed in God's only begotten Son? Are you believing in God for hope, for peace, for joy, for salvation, to be sustained, to be carried? Are you hoping in God or are you hoping in yourself? Are you hoping in hope? Are you hoping in some kind of a political movement? Are you hoping in a relationship? Are you hoping in your job? Are you hoping in 2021? 
The more I think about that, the scared I get more scared. I, you know, I, yeah, I won't go there. Hope in God. Hope in the Lord. And we're told that if you believe in Him, if you put your faith in Christ Jesus for salvation, if you call upon His name to be saved, turn from your sin and walk with Jesus, you will be filled to overflowing that you would abound in hope. That is, bursting at the seams. You know, when... Um, Jesus told the disciples to cast their net into the, to the sea, and they got such a catch that the nets were breaking. That's the, that's the word. The nets were so filled that they could barely even get the net back in the boat, and it was bursting at the seams. We can be filled with hope like that. How? He tells us, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it, brothers and sisters. We are filled with hope and believing the promises of God, believing in the Son of God, and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so I just want to kind of close on that note. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need hope. I don't know about you, I need hope. I need hope daily. I need hope every hour. And we know where the hope for this life is in the next life. It's in the God of hope. And He's told us how we can have this hope. And that is through faith in His Son Jesus Christ and through being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we're Jesus people in this, in this church. We worship the Lord Jesus. We praise Him and honor Him for what He has done, for who He is, what He's going to do. But we're also people of the Spirit. We are people who believe in the filling of the Spirit and being Spirit-led, walking in the Spirit, loving in the Spirit, reaching out in the Spirit. And we need God's Spirit. And He's told us that we could have His Spirit. You know, I think of that, that text in Luke where it talks about if, if any one of you as an earthly father, or I would add to that mother, if, if, if uh, your child were to ask you for something, you would give them a good gift, would you not? Jesus specifically says if they ask you for an egg or a piece of bread, you're not going to give them a snake or a scorpion. We wouldn't do that. That just seems insane, does it not? Someone comes and asks you for food and you say, here, I got this for you. It's a snake. Right? We wouldn't do that. Why do we think God would do that? Why do we think God would do that? The point is, is that if we wouldn't do that, no way would God do that. And then this says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we have to ask. We have to ask and believe and we have to receive it. Doesn't mean something crazy is going to happen. Doesn't mean that we're going to fall on the floor or any of that stuff but we receive it in faith. We ask. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, I'll close with this verse. A lot of idolatry and stuff going on in Ephesus, and there were different gods that they would worship, and sometimes those, those places of worship would be involved with things like alcohol and, and, and other things where they would get inebriated or have an, an altered state of, of uh, consciousness. But Paul, I think in that context, says this very interesting. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, he says, in which is dissipation or, or debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And so I want us to cry out and pray to God that He would fill us with the Spirit because we need that hope. I don't know about you, I want to abound with hope. I want to abound with peace. I want to abound with joy. I want to abound with the love of Christ to overflowing, and I want it to pour out of me onto other people, and I know you want that too. 
And God has said we can have that confidence, we can have that hope because it's built on Him. It's built on His faithfulness. It's built on the history of God's plan to, to give us these blessings and this hope. And it is built on the fact that He is the God of hope who gives the gift of hope to all those who believe. I'm gonna pray for us right now. And if it's your desire to know Christ while I'm praying, just call upon His name. Just tell Him, Lord, I don't know You, but I wanna know You. Would You please fill me with Your Spirit and save me? I wanna walk with You. I wanna invite you to do that right now. You can do it right in your seat. If the Lord is drawing you, if He's calling you, don't hold back, respond. And I'm also gonna be praying for us that God would just pour His Spirit out afresh on us in this place that he would pour his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and that we would abound with hope and joy and peace. So would you stand as uh, I pray? Father God, we love you. We trust you. We have hope in you because God, you are faithful because your promises are always true. Your promises always come to pass. Your word is always good because, Lord, you are faithful and you can never lie and you can never fail. You've proven over and over again in our lives, God, individually, that you're faithful and that in you we can have confidence and trust. Thank you, Father, that that's been your intention from all along, Lord. Before we were even born, God, we were, we were in, your, in your heart. You, you knew us, Lord, before we were in the womb. Thank you that you're the God of hope and that in you we can abound. And that's my prayer, Father, by the Holy Spirit. Would you please, God, fill us? Would you pour your Spirit out upon us afresh? Lord, you've said that we could come and that we could ask and that we could have faith that you as a good Heavenly Father desire to give good things. You desire to give the Holy Spirit to your people. So, Father, would you do a fresh work in our hearts, God, in our lives, in this church? Would you fill us, God, May our homes be a place where your spirit does move mightily as we're in the community, as we're in our workplace, wherever it is, God, that you've called us to walk, God. May we be lights of your glory and your grace. Help us, Father. We need hope now more than ever. And you are the source of hope. And we look to you, God, as our strength, as our refuge, as our strong tower where we can run and we can find help and we can find hope in our time of need. Praise you, Father. We receive your goodness. We receive your kindness. We receive your blessings and your gifts, Father. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.